There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close... You can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give them the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Hey, what's up? This is the Meat Eater Podcast. Recording. You know, this is the first Meteor podcast we've ever recorded, not on the road. We're in my office. I'm on the road. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no. <laughs> I take that back. This is the first Meteor podcast ever recorded where, where I was not. I, Steve Ranella, was not on the road. I'm joined here, as is often the case, by Giannis Patelos, who is on the road. We're in the Pacific Northwest, um, overlooking the beautiful Lake Washington, and in a little office, and fixing to do somewhat of a special episode of podcast here because there's this thing that happens. We get we get a, like like you know the meteor podcast right. The name comes from the fact the word meteor comes from the fact that that um, there's a show I do a television show called Meat Eater. Um, hopefully you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, hopefully you'll go check it out. And, but, but I like to think if I didn't do a television show called Meat Eater, I'd maybe still have a podcast by the same title. So there's these, these things that exist, um, they, you know, they, they, they circle around each other in some way. You know, I don't know why I'm explaining that to you. But anyhow, I'm the, the people watch this show, the show called Meat Eater, which is arguably um, 
the next two apocalypse now, Godfather one, Godfather two, and Strange Brew, um, perhaps the best thing to ever be filmed. And people watch this program and they always write in with these like hunting questions. And what you notice over time is that, that people keep like people ask the same questions. So something about the show or something about the subject of hunting, I think probably the latter, like something about the subject of hunting, um, brings up these perpetual questions that people always ask. And a lot of times I have, what, what's cool about having Giannis here, and Giannis is a producer on the show, but also a lifelong hunter, a former guide, all kinds of stuff like that. A lot of times I will defer some of these questions to Giannis because they, you know, they, uh, he, he can speak to them with some authority. So for this episode, what I want to do is, is in some way it's like answering questions that come in all the time, but it's more than just answering questions for some particular dude out there. You know, it's not like, Hey Bob, here's the answer to your arcane esoteric question, because these are things that are just on people's mind all the time when it comes to particularly to big game hunting. Um, in order to give a little context, though, we're just gonna, I'm just going to start rolling into these, and, and we're going to do a bunch of them as much as we can in an hour. And so this is just like a, like a big game hunting discussion. And one of the first questions, and we get all this time, is like people always write in asking, what's the best bang for your buck hunt? And it's usually like a dude who lives somewhere east of the Mississippi River. Grows up, you know, he's hunted whitetails all of his life, hunted small game all of his life. He's been saving up. He doesn't have a lot of dough. He's been saving up, and he wants to figure out, like, what is the big Wild West hunting trip he's going to do? What's he going to hunt for? And where is he going to go? And this is his big chance to, you know, experience the vast, beautiful vistas of the American West. And... Yanni can feel Yanni's he's Yanni's not even paying attention. He's he's working on a side project on his computer. Um which is the completion of Yeah, the yeah, I, I should I, I want to throw that in real quick. The reason Giannis Butelis is in my office right now is we just pulled a five day uh I don't want to quite call it a bender because there was uh, besides a bottle of beer here and there, you know, it wasn't like the old stories, you know, Jack Kerouac getting all hopped up on pills and you know writing for days on a big continuous piece of butcher's paper but we did just spend five days you know 14 15 hours a day um putting the finishing touches on volume two of the complete guide to hunting butchering and cooking wild game which will be released in the fall of 2015 this coming fall with Spiegel and Growl, the division of Random House, an imprint with Random House. Beautiful books. And we've been just busting our asses on getting this thing done. That's why Yanni's here. We finally turned it in last night. So all that research and work makes us even better boned up. But anyway, we didn't quite finish it because Yanni's uh, messing around with some thing over there. But yeah, so this, this question, it's this perennial question. Like if you're going to go out, you're going to go out west and do something. You want to go do a wild west hunt. What are you going to do? I'm gonna take the. I'm gonna give the 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 long. De- I'm gonna give it a long answer, or I'm gonna give an answer for the long thinking, detail oriented dude, 
and I'm going to give an answer for the impulsive dude. The long-thinking, detail-oriented dude will think of a couple species that interest him. And I would suggest, if you really want to have like a Western experience with like good availability, good chance for success and action, um, I would think about mule, deer, and elk. Do you disagree with that, Giannis? No, not at all. I would think about mule, deer, and elk. I would think about the following states. From the south, working north. I would think about Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Idaho, Montana. It's good to mention that he's asking about affordability as well. Well, I'll give him the long, detail-oriented answer. Okay. So let me let me go on a little bit. So so I'm just naming some Western states. Some states I would rule out, like if you're a dude from the Midwest, you know, or the East or wherever, and you want to do a Western hunt, this is gonna this this will this will piss some people off. But I I I wouldn't spend a ton of time looking at Washington, Oregon, California. I just wouldn't spend a bunch of time on those states. It's a long ways to go. Yeah, add and add to the gas bill big time. Yeah, it adds to the gas bill, and also it's just like uh, I just wouldn't spend a lot of time looking at those states for a bunch of reasons. But the long, detail-oriented dude, I would pick. You're gonna you're gonna pick a couple species, and I would start doing some research in publications such as Eastman's. What's the Eastman's one called? Eastman's Hunting. Yeah, and Bow Hunting Journal. Eastman's magazines and Hunt and Fool magazine and start doing some research on what are the premier low pressure mule deer and elk units in a handful of states that seem attractive to you like let's say you decided i'm going to do like you got your heart set on the northern Rockies, so you're going to like you think in idaho montana let's just say you love the looks of idaho montana never been out there want to go up there get eastman's and get hunting fool and start reading through those publications and finding low-pressure draw units in those states. And then start applying for those units. Because if you know you want to go sometime in the next five, six years, start applying for like the cream of the crop top pick units. And these are not secrets. You know, These are widely known things. Basically, it's the things with the, the minimum percent chance that you're going to draw the tag. And start applying for those tags for five or six years. Because you might just get lucky and hit some sweet unit, hit a tag for a sweet unit. And when that happens, you'll know now is my time to go because I'm going to have a fantastic hunt. And it also narrows down because any tag you draw like that is going to be for a very specific little chunk of ground. And you'll know to hammer down where you're going to go hunt. You can start studying maps and all that. Now, if you're just a guy who's like, I'm going this year, man, I don't care. I would think that the first thing you want to do is pick your species. And again... One quick interjection on that note of of those points and whatnot. Uh, A lot of states, um, it it doesn't really matter if you're actually already choosing the particular unit. You can just be collecting points. And that's probably the most important, important thing that you need to be doing to be thinking about this grand adventure in the future is just collecting some points. So when you do have your pennies saved up, you're ready to roll, you've got these great options. Yeah, I want to give a quick crash course on bonus points and big game tag draws. It's a really complicated subject. We have a ton of information about it in the complete guidebook that we're working on. But 
the way it'll work is like you put, let's say you want to put in for a unit, like let's just pull it out of like the premier mule deer unit in Montana is 270. Okay. It's in the upper bid route. If you could have any mule deer tag in Montana, you'd want unit 270. Now the, the odds of drawing unit 270 are single percentage points. Okay. Especially for a non-resident, you're just not going to do it. Montana has a bonus point system though. So every year that you put in for a tag and you don't draw, you get a point added to your name and Montana squares. Well, let me back up a minute. You get a point added to your name. That means the second year you put in your name goes into the hat two times. But what Montana does now is they square your bonus points. So let's say you've applied two years in a row unsuccessfully for unit 270. The next year you apply, you have two bonus points. Your name will be going into the hat four times for your bonus points and a fifth time because you're filling out a new application. So right now, for instance, I'm sitting on, you know, I think 12 bonus points for bighorn sheep in Montana. I apply for the same unit every year, 680 for bighorns. My name will be going into the hat this year, 144 times. I still will not draw that tag. Mule deer and elk are different though, because there's a lot of opportunities. So the long thinking guy will start right now this moment accumulating bonus points in a handful of states. I put in for every state, but I am able, like I hunt a lot more for a variety of reasons. I hunt a lot more than most people. I put in for like pretty much every Western state. But for you, pick a couple states that you've always wanted to visit or better yet where you have some family or friends or some connection some connection to resources and logistical support and start putting in for tags every year. There's no reason not to do it. It costs a little bit of money, but just do it. Now, let's say, but that's not the case and you want to go this year or as soon as possible. Pick your species. I would suggest elk or mule deer and then narrow down into what state you want to hunt. That's the first thing I would do. And I would think like for affordable states and availability of tags, and you want to go for mule deer or elk, I'm going to try to narrow it down a little bit and say that, and Giannis, correct me on this. I would say Montana, Idaho, Colorado, Wyoming. Mule deer, elk, availability of tags, good hunting potential, yeah, the only problem with Montana is they have increased their prices big time for the non-resident hunter. I want to say that uh, you're upwards of $800, even maybe even close to 900 if you want to do the uh, combo tag. Yeah. You're going to wind up being shocked at what tags are going to cost. In other states, like Colorado is a cheaper state to hunt. Yeah, right now I think you can hunt a bull elk in Colorado as a non-resident for about – 575 and yep. that's definitely one of the cheaper states idaho might be a little bit less they might be in the fours um yeah in montana you're up there eight yep. somewhere it's a lot of money and what you got to look at is you got to look at how you're gonna you know and this gets into a whole other subject is when you go do this how you're gonna save money like you're gonna drive camp out of your truck hunt public land all that kind of stuff but the tag is gonna be expensive and the other thing that guys run into on a problem is this is like Colorado has some over-the-counter elk opportunities, right? 
Idaho, Montana has some over technically like they, they basically have some over the counter opportunities because of something I'll explain where you're, you're supposed to put in for a draw every year. Like you have to apply around June one or late March. And then around June one, you apply for a tag for the following fall. Oftentimes there's not enough applicants to fill the allotted quantity of tags. So the leftover tags are sold basically in the over the counter way until the, the, until the quota runs out, until the number of tags for sale are sold. And that usually happens sometimes in the late summer. Sometimes it doesn't even happen until season starts. So when I say over-the-counter, it's not technically over-the-counter, but it's basically over-the-counter availability. Um, it takes a little bit of research. You, you can get to find yourself with some great tags if you do that. You find those undersubscribed units, um, and they should be. you can't buy them over-the-counter. So the guy that's not doing any research is not finding that tag, not getting into that unit. So with a little bit of research, you can really get yourself into some good stuff. Yeah, so um, I'm going to try to get even more detailed. Mule deer, I would say, uh, Idaho, not, but not the panhandle, for availability, inexpensive, all that kind of stuff. Mule deer in Idaho, not the panhandle. Um, Colorado, you got to put in for mule deer tags. And some of the better units take a couple years to draw. But Idaho, you're just going to get the tag. Montana, a more expensive tag. Think about the eastern half of the state. For elk, um, Idaho, and Colorado. Yeah, if you're not playing the long game, Colorado is hard to beat for the uh, the short game guy because there are lots of elk there. It's something like 250,000 elk in that state. There's two seasons that are wide open, over the counter. You just show up and buy a tag, so you can decide the week before that you know you want to go elk hunting. There's a lot of opportunity there. Randy Newberg wrote a great article. I think it appeared in Bugle Magazine where he lined out how to basically go on this affordable Western elk hunt in Colorado for $1,000. And I think he did it leaving Wisconsin or Indiana, one of those Midwestern states, um, driving out, you know, car camping. Uh, obviously, you only drink water and you eat ramen noodles. But even with a $600 elk tag, for $1,000, he went elk hunting for a week. I used to do stuff. I've lost touch with it now, and I, sometimes I feel like I need a reality check, you know, because the way, like, you know, just the way I'm able to hunt, like doing a show and stuff, you know, you, you just you stop thinking about money in quite the same way. But to give you a sense, I mean, the kind of hunts we used to do. I one time took a Greyhound bus from Montana to Alabama to hunt ducks. And I broke down a shotgun and put it in a duffel bag, hit it in a duffel bag, drove a two and a half days on a Greyhound bus because I couldn't afford a plane ticket to Alabama to hunt ducks on public land. And it took me two days to get back home on the bus. So, you know, I've done cheap hunts. And it's like, the way to cut down your costs is, is just like uh, self-denial, you know, privation, I think. There's some expenses you're not going to get around. You're not going to go hunting without the tag, right? You got to have the tag. That's going to cost money. What is the negotiable stuff? And the thing, I, and I also mentioned this, I, I got the guidebook on the head. The thing I also mentioned in my guidebook is you got to look at, I'm getting into some life stuff here. 
you got to look at like where 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 are you spending your money in your life. I remember one time watching the guy pull up and to pull up to a trailhead in Montana, and he pulls up you know forty thousand dollar brand spanking new pickup truck, and he pulls out a twenty dollar pair of binoculars and starts glassing for elk out of his truck window. And I remember thinking that dude's got his priorities all wrong. You know, all wrong. He might have bought that big hunting truck, but then he burned up all of his money on something that was like in large measure a vanity project. So I think the, it's like, I don't mean to, you know, invade privacy here, but I think like so often, where's your money going? Like, are you, like, what are you spending your money on? I understand the tags are expensive, but there's not a guy I know that I couldn't go into his personal financing and find the money necessary to buy a big game tag if he really cares about that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to talking about big game tags in a minute. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50 and it has airflow. So you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed. You can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20-plus years. Deck is a game-changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. 
You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash eater. Make sure you use code MEATEATER to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. Yanni? I just reread the question, you know, and the guys. Yeah, say, but I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pick that dude out. No, I know. I just just oh. want he I just want to specifically answer his question, you know, before we get away from it. Oh. Um, but I agree with everything you're saying there. But no, he, cost he, prohibitive he, for a guy with a young family. Yeah, he's got he's got a young family and just what came to mind because I know a lot of guys that actually go hunting with young families on this particular big game hunt is a Wyoming antelope hunt uh, as a non-resident you can get doe yeah, tags i no, think for I forty dollars i wasn't thinking about that and the bring nice your family thing, yeah you camp can bring, out with your family in the late summer yeah right antelope hunts you do not have to get up early in the morning you can get up get the family going roll out there at 10 o'clock go hunting leave the kids at the truck for a little bit whatever has to happen um but uh and for antelope does or even a buck in wyoming you can probably get it done in two days yeah two days of hunting and the tags are cheap right antelope tags in montana i wasn't even thinking about but you know we, i want to move on because we can't spend all of our time on that yeah here's the second most like this is one of the second most common questions that ever come in is like uh what's a good all-purpose rifle both in terms of caliber and everything else reasonable price reasonable price you know, th- this question comes in. I, I, I swear every day in a couple in every day a couple times in some different way. Let's start with the caliber part. Like, what's a great all-purpose caliber? There's a movement right now in shooting, in hunting, to go with lighter calibers. This has to do with recent or sort of ongoing technical improvements to ammunition ammunition is becoming more reliable the materials work better they're bonded in better ways the bullets themselves you're speaking yeah no no, i'm sorry yeah yeah the bullet yeah i mean bullets are getting well they're getting pushed faster and they're performing better they're able to withstand you know very high flight speeds or you know feet per second uh, high muzzle velocities they hold together better. And this is leading to like greater efficacy on part of the bullet. And so people are realizing they can get away from some of the high recoil shoulder busters and shoot these faster, flatter shooting, smaller caliber rifles with high quality bullets in them. I don't really want to get into that. But like right now, sort of the hot new caliber among long distance shooters and stuff is everybody's you know talking about how great 6.5 millimeter rounds are right everybody used to shoot you know 0.284 like 7 millimeter stuff and 30 caliber stuff was sort of always like the go-to calibers for all-purpose you know general purpose big game rifles people are getting away with that in some way i'm sort of a throwback or a traditionalist or something or just a guy who likes to stick with things that i'm familiar with but when I'm thinking about 
it, it, it like I hate I almost hate this conversation because it's so dependent on your your personal experiences. I often tell people if I had to have one gun that I could for the rest of my life, and I had to pick it right now, like what's your caliber for the rest of your life? And you hunt all, all you're interested in all forms of big game in North America. I would pick. I had to pick one rifle. I think that I would pick a seven millimeter rem mag. If I was ruling out, um, if someone came down and said you can't have that one, then I would start wondering: Do I want a three hundred win mag or just a two seventy? And I would start vacillating between those two. Now there is a lot of like there's a lot of ways to achieve the same thing. Like when you say like a you know three hundred short mag, there's a or three hundred wind mag or three hundred Winchester short magnum. You can get those same muzzle velocities and trajectories and bullet weights with other guns. But those are just ones that come to my mind. That's what you'll find a lot of in my gun cabinet is that kind of stuff. And I'm like an old timey Elmer Fuddy kind of guy for thinking that way. But that's what I like. I tend to also like a rifle. Um, my goal isn't to try to get away with as much as I can get away with. Like, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to go out and hunt mule deer with a 243. It can be done. People do it. I remember meeting a kid. He's like, this guy telling me, oh, yeah, my kid just killed an elk with a 243. Later, I was talking to the kid. He's like, yeah, I shot it nine times. I'm not saying he couldn't have done it cleaner, but, I'm just, but I like to have... I like to, you know, have plenty of gun, plenty of bullet, plenty of speed, and plenty of weight. And, you know, that seems to be a fading perspective. It seems to be now this competition to, like, get away with as much as you can get away with. Like, shrink it down as much as you can shrink it down. And also, at the same time, think you're going to shoot things from farther and farther away. So I'm going to use a really teeny bullet. This borderline already, and I'm going to toy around with this idea that I'm going to be shooting stuff at 700 yards with it. I'm not that crazy about it. I'm done talking about it, but I'm going to have you honest talk about it now. <laughs> it's a very, very in-depth subject, that's for sure, and we certainly don't have enough time, or I don't have the experience and knowledge to really, really uh, – speak to it to, to those but just speak depths. from your own yeah 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 from, your, like i said it, it is a personal thing you've, uh, you've as watched, far as you've been in you've watched a hundred elk in your career you've right. watched a hundred elk get shot right right and, and in our camp you know it's going to totally contradict what you just said but in our camp you guys shoot pellet rifles no the one rifle every guy in our camp used to always like Drop his shoulders, drop his head. When it walked into camp, when it was time to go elk hunting with a new group of clients, was a seven millimeter Remington Magnum. Why? <laughs> Personal experience. Like not big enough. Uh, yeah, you know, too I'm fast, talking. too small, and yeah, it just didn't. Whatever. We just had bad experiences with that caliber, and okay. Okay. whatever. You know, that's just how it went. It just happened to be that way. You know, it, it could be a total. How does your brother say it? Like we're just getting fooled, fooled by randomness. Fooled by randomness. My brother's a uh, my brother's a ecologist, but he's a statistician. Um, you, even more technically, he, like he's a does a, a type of work or a discipline or something called Bayesian analysis. I could be screwed. I hope he's not listening to this. But he's a statistician. And he's really big into 
the science of science or he's big into you know how scientists approach things how scientists think how they're influenced what their biases are and um one of the things that he's interested in too is this idea of being fooled by randomness like you're out fishing and you guys are all fishing a pumpkin colored grub for smallmouth and someone puts a black grub on and hooks a fish that he's like oh they're hitting black and everyone switches to black he thinks that those situations are ripe for being fooled by randomness um but anyhow so yeah back very quickly to no, ca- no, calibers without going into the rifles themselves um i'm i'm even older more fuddier uh traditionalist guy when it, than you so i'm gonna go with 270 and the 30-06 uh multiple reasons but always find ammo for it and uh those calibers have been killing stuff for many 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 years um but my takeaway or what I'd like the listener to take away would be to, to, to pick the caliber, use a premium bullet, whatever caliber you choose, use the, the, the best bullet you can afford, and shoot the caliber that you can shoot comfortably and confidently. But so I get I so sick of these guys who make their whole decision based on recoil. Well, it's a big deal. It's if like, if, 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 Listen, no, if, if you're to fuck up is such, a, is such bullshit – because guys say that, oh, yeah, man, I can handle that gun. I'm bucking up. And you watch him shoot, and the guy pulls his head a foot away from the scope before he pulls the trigger because he's got to flinch him so bad. So he, you can't say that he well, is yeah, I mean, he's up, not. I don't it, mean buck up physically. I mean buck up psychologically. Okay. Well, that you know that takes time and practice. But what I'm saying, whatever it is, if you some guys maybe just or, – or any person, we shouldn't say guys. Some person might never, ever be able to, to shoot a thirty caliber um, – you know, Magnum rifle. It just might not be in their thing. Small framed. Yeah. Just, they don't have the, you know. When my kid starts hunting, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have him hunt with a 7mm08, I think. Right. Recoil issue. Yeah. So I'm not saying, but listen, the 7mm, I was talking about the 7mm Rem Mag, and again, it's like, there's so much personal bias, right? I just happen to own a very nice shooting 7mm Rem Mag uh, shooting like a oh, 160 grain bullet at about 3,000 feet per second muzzle velocity, and it just shoots good for me, right? And I've had some good hunting experiences with it. So therefore, I'm extolling this caliber based on just a very small thing. I happen to own one that I've had good experiences with and that I like. Could I have had that same rifle chambered in a different round and taking it on those hunts and had those experiences, absolutely. And if that was the case, I'd be talking up that one. So Giannis is right there. If and a seven millimeter rem mag kicks like there's kick, I, I have a three seventy five H and H that kicks like a very slow kick. A seven millimeter rem mag kicks you like like getting kicked in the face by Joe Rogan. I, I, we were just watching him kick a kicking bag the other day. It's like that's a seven millimeter ram mag, and it's so abrupt and fast that it gives you a headache. And all those things can be managed a little bit, you know. There's also a big fad of very lightweight, what they call mountain rifles. If you're packing around a rifle that only weighs seven pounds, all loaded up with a scope on it and everything, it's gonna kick and bark and want to jump. That same rifle, you know, with a heavier stock or heavier this that that comes in at ten pounds, is gonna recoil a lot less. And yeah, so my my seven mm red mag out. with a scope on it is th- twelve pounds nine ounces, right? Heavy, 
But you, like my brother Danny said, he's got a old Ruger uh, Ruger Model seventy seven. It's a three hundred. Thing weighs a ton. Um, but he said, man, he goes, you lay that thing over your backpack, and you know something's gonna die. It's just like right, a heavy rifle, just, the crosshairs it just settles in. Steady. Yeah, you like he was just talking about that. You know, he's just like you lay that thing up in your pack, and you get nestled in there, and it's just like that thing is just. There's no doubt where that bullet's going. And those light rifles, I had a rifle that was too light. I couldn't shoot it. I never felt good mm-hmm. in a real-world hunting scenario. That's a big thing not a lot of people talk about. There's this big push for light rifles. Is it's like It seems like a recoil thing to me. This big push for light rifles is people are talking about carrying them around. But the reason I'm carrying mine around is because I'm hoping to shoot it at some point. And if I need a couple more pounds to make that thing feel good when I go to shoot it, and the vast, the bulk of the shooting I do, and I hunt, you know, Western hunts a lot. The bulk of the shooting I do is prone with my pack. What was the word you used the other day for a certain kind of rests? Improvised. Is shooting prone with an improvised rest. Backpack, wad of jackets, your buddy's shoulder, whatever. And doing that, I find that a little bit of weight on that rifle makes a huge difference. Okay, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this message. I don't mind toting around some extra pounds. My 12-pound 9-ounce rifle was ridiculous. Too heavy. Too heavy. These 6-7 pound rifles, I don't know. They're light. Yeah, I think that 8 to 9 is really optimal. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody, and look, a lot, a lot of people that are packing around six pound rifles, they could shoot better with a seven or eight pound rifle, and they could just shave those two pounds off their gut and yeah. you'd be all the same going up the hill. That's a good point, man. I had a rifle that not long ago I sent to a gunsmith to put a heavier barrel on it, not because I want, not for anything to do with like the barrel overheating or anything. I just wanted more weight. The rifle never felt good to me shooting it. Loved carrying it. You know, it's like carrying around a chopstick. Yeah, lastly for me on caliber, I feel like you you need to be able to put that bullet confidently in the spot. So, again, shoot what you're comfortable and confident with. And, and I, I would rather you put it in the spot that, uh, you know, I tell you to put it as opposed to flinchums and, you know, who knows where the bullet goes. Yeah. And then we're just hoping that big overrides, uh, you know, bad shot placement. That's a point that's brought up so much, man. I mean, you kill an elk with a pen knife if you put it in the right place. That's right. Uh, Let's move on to yeah. best uh, <clears throat> uh, reasonably pl- priced, affordable, good rifle. No, I want to. I want to change. Let's get to that, but I want to change. I want to interlude with one that comes up all the time. Can you dry age venison and elk and stuff? Okay. Yeah. There's a couple things you don't want to age at all. Don't age bears and don't age pigs because the fat isn't tolerant. The fat sour is bad. And not only that, but the fat on wild pigs and the fat on bears, well, fat on everything. Sours in your freezer. Takes a lot longer, but it'll happen. You can put a fatty old chunk of bear meat in your freezer and pull it out eight months later, and that stuff will have turned a bluish-green color. I'm not joking. If you trim the fat away, right away. Kill a bear, skin it, Trim the fat away, get the thing into your freezer. Kill a bear or kill a wild pig, skin it, get the fat off it. There's a lot of uses for the fat. You can render it out 
and do great stuff with it because when it's rendered, it has a great shelf life. It doesn't on the animal. Other than that, on hooved ants, so birds, but we're not going to talk about birds. That's a whole other thing. On hooved animals, you can definitely age them. There's all kinds of thinking about how you age them. Hide on, hide off. Um, Do you recommend it? Yeah, if you have the facility for it. Yeah. Because what I was going to point out is in so much of my life, I'm always like thinking of this situation where I'm going to, you know, have like a walk-in cooler. It just never All stainless happens. steel, meat hooks on rollers. Yeah. Yep. It never happens. What does happen is you're in some hotel room in Phoenix, Arizona, trying to butcher a deer in a bathtub because you're flying out the next morning, or you and your buddy go up and you got to come back home and you know that at home it's 70 degrees out, you got to work the next morning, you got two dead deer, you know, it's just not, like, it just doesn't Those, those are extremes. Happen. Let's talk about, let's just say you are living in, um, you know, a, a little bit of a northern latitude and you do have a garage with a concrete floor that does stay yep. cool what can we do in that can scenario? i tell you an anecdote yeah my old roommate when i was in uh school my roommate killed a calf elk in the in the late season hunt it was a january hunt he killed a calf elk we hung that calf elk in my garage skin off and never froze any of that elk and ate the entire thing with it hanging in that garage with the temperature hovering a tad below, a tad above, freezing in the wintertime. It hung in there. It must have been in there. It must have taken us probably about seven weeks to eat that thing. We just whittled. Sometimes you'd go out there and it'd feel kind of frozen-y. Sometimes it'd be fine. And we just ate it. My old man talks about, my dad was born in 1924. He had not even his 50s, dead now. But he's got some old-timey experiences. He was talking about hanging deer, skin off, until there was a quarter inch of mold covering the deer, at which point they would butcher the deer. Wow. This calf elk I'm talking about that we had hanging there, you could, I'm not joking you, you could stick your thumb through that meat. It was so beautifully like dry-aged. By the end of it. But it was perfect conditions. This is in Montana. It's dry, cold, sheltered area. It's good. What I do now, and I want to talk about real world stuff. I'm going to talk about my, my, my brother Danny's experience. Like a, a strategy my brother Danny used. Oh, but I also want to say, we had that elk in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And a guy, in that case, we, we were going somewhere else. Couldn't bring the elk home. And that was like one of the only times in recent memory that I've ever had something butchered by a butcher. He hung that thing 10 days. And? <laughs> Dude, I couldn't tell. Just it wasn't like it was like tender. Regular old elk. Regular old elk. My brother Danny uh, kills a moose every year. It's kind of like his main thing. It's his main priorities. He kills a moose, and that's what his family eats. Everything else is just extra. He don't think about having his freezer. Like, I often think, like, okay, fall's coming. October's coming. I want to have my freezer emptied out. All of last year's game eaten up because I'm going to be filling it with new game this year. Um, he thinks about it the other way around. He doesn't want his freezer to be empty around September, which is his main hunting time. He doesn't want his freezer to be empty in September. 
he wants to have like if he's in going into a new year. So let's say he's fall of this he's fall of 2015. He wants 2014's game to be petering out mid-winter. Because that allows the animals that he's killed in the fall to age in his freezer. This is something people don't talk about very often. They should talk about it more. Hoofed game ages and tenderizes in your freezer. The same way if you leave something in your freezer too long, it can go south on you. It can go bad. Some of that decay is good, and some of that decay is called aging. Like Aging is just breaking down. He kills a moose in September. He don't want to even look at that thing for a few months. He forgets about it. Butchers it right away. He's got that time of year. You got blowflies everywhere. It's just like, you know, it's wet, rainy. The thing's already coming back a mess. You know, he hunts out of canoes and stuff. They come back. They got a moose all chopped up in game bags. You get home. There's, you know, meat bees, blowflies, Lord knows what. Gets in the freezer and forgets about it because it ages. Then what you do, and this is what I do all the time. If I'm home for a week, and I know, okay, I'm home, I'm working from home, I'm going to be cooking every night, I don't just do all my thawing the morning I'm going to cook something. If I know on Friday, I'm like, Friday, I'm going to make a big elk roast. I will thaw that thing out maybe on Saturday. I don't know if I'm saying all kinds of stuff that violates USDA protocol. I, I, I don't really care. I'll pull that thing out on Saturday. And, and I don't even know if this is the right word. Basically, I'm, I dry age that thing for five, six days in my fridge. I don't care. Like I, I, It makes it more tender. And it makes the texture nicer to dry it. Because you notice wild game more than like, when you thaw a wild game out, you notice like when you freeze it fresh and stuff, you notice that it bleeds a lot. You know? I've also heard that that's a big part of off flavors, and that's why you should do what you're talking about is because when you're letting it sit like that, you'll see that it does release some more of that blood. Yeah. You get rid of that blood. Sometimes that blood can is where that off The texture gets is. so nice. Yeah, it's nice. I'll let it sit. I like Ideally, I like to let it sit until a little rind forms on the outside of that block of meat, and then I trim that rind off, and that stuff sometimes looks so beautiful under there. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's 
features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right in your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. But yeah, let's say I just live and I, and I have this, I have this just to answer the question. I live in some place, I hunt near there. I got a boatload of money. I go out and build myself a, a factory spec meat aging walk-in cooler. Yeah. There's not a thing that I kill outside of wild pigs and bears that I wouldn't go hang in there for a couple weeks or for as long as I could. I'd monitor it closely, but absolutely I'd hang everything. Just to answer the question. Yeah, my quick answer is... At least uh, 24 hours because, and again, I'm no expert on this because, but from what I've read, that's how long it takes rigor mortis to set and then leave those muscles. And so, um, and, and I've had that. I've eaten meat that was, you know, too fresh. We talk about that a lot on the show because we're eating meat right there in the field. And sometimes that too fresh meat needs to be pounded with a rock to make it tender. And so I give it, I try to give it at least 24 hours from when it, hit the dirt which isn't too hard usually by the time you get home it's been that long i want to hit a super quickie then we're gonna go back up to the one you also wanted to get what's your opinion on hunting wolves i think wolves should be managed like big game managed like all big game um don't push them 
to the point where their viability is threatened. Same way I wouldn't want to hunt elk until their viability is threatened. It's a renewable resource. If there's hunter interest in it, if you can allow some extraction of the renewable resource without damaging the viability of the resource, I think you should do it. Yanni? Well, no, I don't even want you to talk about wolves, but you, you, were, you were hot for one of these questions. Oh, we just were going to finish up on the caliber rifle thing. If you want to talk about like a model, you know, a maker and a model of a, a good affordable rifle. It's pretty, should be able to answer that in a couple sentences. But what is affordable? Less than a thousand bucks? Um, I guess there's a couple tiers. Let, let's, let's do one 500 or less and one under a thousand. How about that? I, I don't know. I mean, I just buy so few. Like, I just don't buy rifles. I have rifles that I've always had. I have rifles that I've gotten from friends. And I've had rifles that I've gotten through work. So I, I, can't, I don't really know. Like, I would, be a really, I would be really bad at hunting equipment prices right. Yeah. Because the peculiarity of my occupation and, and life, you know. I don't know what stuff costs. Yeah. It's embarrassing. I mean, I know what stuff costs. I just don't know what that kind of stuff costs that much. What You tell me, what's a good $500 rifle? Is there a $500 rifle? Yeah, I believe that it's, I think you can get a Remington 700 in like the, 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 the bottom tier that's right at that price mark. I want to tell a Remington. There's also, there's also a Ruger American, which I think comes in right at that price mark. And then Winchester Model 70, they probably have one that has a more of a plasticky composite stock on it instead of a nice synthetic or a nice wood stock. Um but uh, all three of those uh, makers, too, you can get into that seven, $800 range and get yourself a really nice rifle that will last many, many years, probably many generations as long as you take care of it. I want to tell a Remington Model 700 story. My old man, he died in December 2002. In 2000, he bought a brand spiggity spankity new Remington Model 700. I remember at the time, I remember... I feel like it cost him, you know, four or five hundred bucks at the time. He dies. I don't even know if he ever shot anything with this thing. He dies, and we have this little drawing where we put uh, me and all my my brothers and all my half siblings and stuff. We wrote down the name of all his guns. Like he got little pieces of paper, and on each little piece of paper, we wrote down the name of one of our old man's guns and put them in a hat and started drawing the pieces of paper out of a hat to see who got what. He didn't specify any of this in his will, you know. So I drew this new Remington Model 700. Left it at my mom's for years. At some point, I got it and brought it up to my cabin in Alaska. And never really shot it carefully. I mean, we sighted it in by, by shooting it at an old oil drum just to make sure it was kind of right on. Took it up a mountain, shot a black-tailed deer. Uh, took it out in the boat on salt water. My brother shot a black tail deer with it. This is a 30 aught six model 700. Then I hung it in, on the wall in my cabin, which is the wettest, rustiest, nastiest place on the planet. And I just sprayed it down with WD 40, but didn't do anything to the, to the bore, you know, the inside of the barrel and, uh, left it up there for a decade or almost a decade to the point where you look down this barrel and you could barely see down it, the bore, so rusty. Took that thing home, cleaned it up, and for the first time in my life, probably the first time in the gun's life, took it down to a rifle range to shoot box ammo. 
to actually like on a bench shoot this rifle. Oh, this is the one that I cleaned out, dude. Oh, Giannis cleaned it out. Right. Let me tell you. I'm telling you, the first twenty patches that came out of the bore. It, I don't know if I can say it, but it, it, I mean, it looked like diarrhea. I mean, it was just <laughs> brown, goopy, soupy, and I was almost scared to fire the thing. Yeah, Giannis even expressed fear about firing. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen. That rifle, of all the rifles I own, and I own some expensive-ass custom rifles, if I had to go out right now, to shoot, and someone said, you got to shoot me the tightest group you can shoot, I would take that rifle. I took that rifle to the range and shot three-shot group after three-shot group after three-shot group that were two touching, like, it'd be like two touching and one just off of touching. Yeah, they were probably about half-inch to three-quarter-inch groups, which is just incredible. That's an abused Model 700 shooting box ammo. So, I don't know. And I'm a guy that owns some expensive ass custom rifles. I don't get that kind of group out of <laughs> so, you know. I know a lot of guys like Tika T3 lights, but those are more expensive. That seems like a very popular out of the box gun. You just gotta shop around, man. If I was really going to buy a new rifle, I don't know. I don't think I would buy new. I would spend a bunch of time on gunbroker.com and stuff like that. That and a great tip. You find a dude who's got a custom rifle or some kind of souped up rifle that his old lady's mad about him having and he's got to sell it. Yeah, and, and the used uh, gun racks at all the sportsmen's and the Cabela's are great places to be looking. You kind of need to know, know what you're looking for. Um, but they, you, they, they have quality stuff in there. They're not going to just have junk in there. But what a guy told me once when I was in there perusing guy that worked in the gun library or whatever i forget what i was looking for i was looking for a deer caliber and it just happened to be november so he's like man it's just a it's just you're looking for that 270 or whatever it's the wrong time of year you should come back about january because what happens after big game season now everybody wants to go hunt coyotes and varmints and stuff so everybody comes in switching out their aught sixes or 270s or 300 winchester short magnums and they want the two hopped up 243 or the hopped up you know the little bitty guns to shoot you know uh coyotes with and then the same thing happens again they do all that into the summer and then they drop off all those varmint guns and one so it's kind of a never-ending cycle i want to read a i want to read a question that, that cracks me up this is a good guy i don't know him chris rao Okay, this kind of this in some way to me really expresses everything we're talking about here. He says, "I noticed you switched to the 270 WSM Winchester Short Mag, so it's like a 270, but a you know a short version of a 270, short action version, in lieu of the long action seven millimeter mag. I have a 270 WSM, and I absolutely love it. I was wondering what ammo you are shooting or hand loads for elk. I've taken." Eight bucks and probably a dozen hogs here in Northern California where I live. Fuel more, four mule deer out of state and two elk. But I'm always looking for new information about hunting or components to my hunting gear. I hand load and have taken all these animals to date with one bullet. 140 grain Nosler Acubond, all with one shot from 30 to 648 yards. For my hand loads, they're fairly fast at 3,150 feet per second on the chronograph and very accurate. But everyone is telling me to switch to Burger or Barnes. 
I'm the kind of guy, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but I'm always willing to experiment with new things. Thanks for your feedback. Dude, I would, like, don't do, <laughs> I wouldn't change anything. That's a great bullet. The Acubon. Only problem you're getting with the Acubon is it's, it's got lead in it. So if you're hunting, you know, and more and more areas are going to eventually be going lead free, you might run into trouble there. But for a guy like that with that track record, to be sweating this stuff kind of shows you the poor state of affairs we're in when it comes to people acting like these little things are going to fix problems. The dude can obviously shoot. He's ambitious. Don't change anything. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's got any problems <laughs> with his rig. No. I don't care what everybody's talking about. And no, no way to hack on Barnes and Burger. I have Barnes and Burger bullets. Here's another one that comes in all the time. What's your opinion on camouflage? I don't see you wear a ton of it. Um, I'll tell you what. I, here's my one, two opinions. A couple things about camouflage. Absolutely for turkeys. Absolutely for waterfowl. Always. Mostly head to toe. And on, on, on that note, a lot of times it's not just the camo is as important itself as just covering up your white. Yeah flashy hands or even if you have darker skin just the oils in our skins you know that that it, it tends to shine mm-hmm. so that needs to be covered up and muted yeah so like it's almost like camouflage it's funny because i think when people i'm guessing when this guy says it what he means is like like garments with camouflage garments with camouflage patterns on them my wife's taken off not that she's here she just ducked in to say howdy um, he's talking about garments with like printed camouflage patterns. I'm guessing camouflage. Yeah, I mean you can go out and hunt ducks with just earth tones on, of course, but you gotta be careful about blinds and camouflage yourself with vegetation, with material. But to 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 get to his question, if I'm going hunting for waterfowl or turkeys, I am very serious about wearing camouflage clothing. I have. You get, this could be a fooled by randomness, but I don't think it is. I remember one time when I first became a believer in camouflage, me and my brother Danny were hunting ducks in Michigan, kept flaring ducks out of our decoys on this little pond, and I had a gray hoodie on, a light gray, whitish gray hoodie on. My hood, and I had a duck jacket on, like a duck brown coat, because we were hunting in dead grass, dead, uh, dead grass and cattails. A bit of my hoodie was sticking out. We kept flaring ducks. Danny's like, tuck that hood in. I tucked that hood in, stopped flaring ducks. It could be fooled by randoms, but I've seen a lot of stuff like that happen over the years. Particularly face shine. You're blowing birds, and then someone puts a face mask on, and you quit blowing birds because your face is just like oily and shiny. So cover it up. I wear camo, and I don't know. I can't tell you this empirically. I wear camo bow hunting. Because why not? It's just not that hard to get camo. It's like you're never going to regret having – like I can't imagine a situation where I would regret having camo on. Like, oh, I would have got that thing had I been wearing solid colors. It just isn't going to happen. Sometimes I do think that with some of the camo patterns that are very, very dark – 
that at a distance greater of even 10, 15 you look feet, like a black bear. you start to look like a black bear. And so in that case, I'd rather just be wearing like a nice light gray or, yeah. or that first light dry earth, because even at a hundred yards, I might look more like that light rock on the hillside than that black bear. Yeah. I don't care. I don't worry about it hunting. Um, I don't worry about it rifle hunting for big game. I never wore All growing up, bow hunting whitetails, we didn't wear a camel. No, Our I, mom would stitch us clothes out of wool. We'd wear that. We'd wear army surplus wool earth tones. My dad always hunted muted earth tones. You know, you blend in good. Um, we used to just wear, mostly because like, I do a lot of mountain hunting. For years and years, we did all of our mountain hunting and mountaineering clothes. I, my specialty was going into Goodwills and stuff like that, Salvation Armies, in high-end mountain towns. If you can go to a Goodwill in Bozeman, Montana, or Jackson, Wyoming, Aspen, Colorado, you're going to get all kinds of like great mountaineering-type clothes. And I would hunt in that stuff. High-quality stuff that I'd get for cheap. Had I found awesome camo jackets in there, I would have bought them too. But, you know, um, but if you have it, you're not going to regret it. Just if you have a good camo, wear it. If you don't have a good camo and you like can't afford good camo, I wouldn't stay home about it. it for big game for me, I feel that w- with the camo and, and clothing and gear, the quiet uh, trumps the camouflage. Yeah. We used to have guiding. We used to have a lot of guys that would show up with all sorts of camo, this, that, and the other, and it was covered in Velcro. Nothing worse than trying to sneak through the woods Still hunting, hoping to catch an elk just over the next rise at 100 yards, and then behind you, you hear, and that Velcro, this, that, the other rips open, and the guy's, you know, squeezing, and just playing with all the gadgets and whatever, and being noisy, you know, stuff scratching against his legs because his pants were too noisy because he was decided to bring out, you know, a brand new pair of Carhartts elk hunting versus like a nice, you know, chamois cloth uh, pair of pants or, um, you know, some quiet wool or something. So I would certainly go. Go find something quiet to go hunt big game in versus uh, something camo. You want another hypothetical, or like a not a hype, not hypothetical. I don't even know what I, I. I'm so fried out from from our from guidebook writing. Um, Yanni's holding up a paper that says 55 minutes. Here's the interesting question: What's your opinion on how hunting is going? And what trends should we support decry in hunting today if we want to continue to see a tendency towards smarter and more realistic world wor- real world hunting for fu- future generations of hunters, anglers, trappers? This dude's name actually is Hunter. Um, I don't like high wire stuff, man. It, you know, I don't like it being confused with hunting, and I don't like it taking on tendencies of hunting. My brother raises these lambs. He gave one to me, my buddy, you know, but he said, you know, you got to go out and shoot the lamb. So we went out and, and shot our lambs with a 22 out in the, you know, in his pasture there. Did I then go and post a bunch of pictures of me sitting with that lamb acting like I was out hunting lambs? No, we were harvesting livestock. Um, the other problem I have with high wire stuff Besides just all the bad ethical stuff, paints a bad picture. Also, it's just too risky. Um, 
with disease issues, disease vectors, packing these animals into these you know situations and then having disease transmission escape the wild herds. It's not worth the risk. You can give me all the economic numbers you want about oh this and that and this and that. I just don't. I don't like it. I don't like it. Wild animals. I, I, if you want to, you know, I don't like it. Seeing these animals, you know, with those uh, ear tags and stuff, it just, dis- like on a personal level, it disgusts me. I don't like it. I hate seeing it. What I do like is uh, people taking great care to utilize to the maximum potential the resources provided by the animals that they kill. Catch and release angling. There's no real damage there, but it's just, uh, it's just, you know, playing with your food. I used to be a catch and release angler. I still am today, but we did a whole podcast on catch and release. I'm not going to talk about it now. Grab another question, Yanni. How do you cook red fox? <laughs> yeah, I, we cooked coyote not long ago, a couple of years ago. I just burned, I did it like how I've had, I, Saw how they cooked dogs in Vietnam. And I just cooked the coyote like that, burned the hair off, and then roast it. Wasn't that good? If I had to eat a red fox, like if I was doing it for fun, and like people were coming over, we were going to eat a red fox, I would just burn the hair off and roast it just like a roast pig. If I just had to eat it like if someone came down and said, you can only eat red fox for the rest of your life, and that's what you have to feed your family, I would bone all of my red fox out, grind them up, and make stuff like chorizo and stuff like that, strong flavored sausages with it. Yeah, you can pretty much take any meat like that and braise it, which is basically like slow simmer cooking for a long period of time. And whether it's two hours or six hours, when it's done, you let it cool, you pick it off the bone, and then season it, barbecue put, sauce put in a too. bunch of barbecue sauce, and man, you could probably serve that fox and no, you know, one, would know. no one would know. That's even better. I, I take back what I said. I wouldn't make treasel. I would take my red fox, yank the hide off it, Trim whatever fat on there is away. Quarter it out. Rub uh, just a lot of salt and pepper on all those quarters. Brown them up in half butter and half oil. This is just me what I would do. Get a big pan. Brown all those quarters. Pack them into a big roasting dish. Cover it two-thirds of the way with water. Put a lid on it. Put it in my oven at a, between 275 and 300 degrees. Start poking it with a fork about three hours later. When that thing was such that I could grab one of the bones and flick it and all the meat would fly off the bone, I would shred that stuff up and I would use it on barbecue sandwiches. I'd put it on burritos. I'd put it on tacos. I got some, I got some moose meat. Not that moose is like Red Fox. I got some moose meat in my, freezer, my fridge right now like that. Big roast I did. It's all set up in the aspic. I just keep warming that thing up, grabbing a handful out and doing stuff with it. I gave some of Niani the other night. We had it on burritos. It was great. I'd do that with my fox. And if someone did come down from, from wherever, heaven, outer space, and said, you have to eat red fox the rest of your life, I would, I would be a little bummed, but I would, I would figure it out. I'm not afraid about it. We will make it a point uh, here soon to try to harvest one during a meat eater shoot and uh, cook one up, see what it tastes like. I want to do one last quickie because this comes up all one the time. One last quickie because otherwise I'm going to miss my flight. How do you get uh, meat home on, on you know, trips? Uh, when I'm on a trip, flying or driving or whatever, uh, 
I kill something, I take it apart in big pieces so I bone out muscle groups. Put those muscle groups, wrap them up in saran wrap, or better yet, put them into resealable bags, Ziploc bags, gallon-sized Ziploc bags, big muscle group stuff. Get it into a freezer. Even if you got to go bang on the door at some restaurant and beg some dude who's like walk, washing dishes on late-night shift to put it in the freezer for a night, get a good freeze on it, pack those bags into coolers, duct tape the coolers shut. It'll stay frozen for days in there. Then when I get home, I let it thaw a little bit so it's kind of soft. Then I do my final detail work and repackage it for my home freezer. Thanks for listening. Meteor Podcast. Make sure to tune in. Sportsman Channel. Watch the show, Meat Eater. Take care. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana. They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.